I almost forgot y'all were singing. I stood up with you. Y'all might have been hoping I was going to sing with you, but, but they weren't. Let's pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts as we are gathered here today bring you glory. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm going to read just a little bit more of this story uh, before we jump into what I have to say today. So you heard the first part of the story. Hannah goes into the temple uh, to pray. Her husband does not understand why he is not enough as much as ten sons to her, and yet she longs to have a child. She prays so earnestly for it that the priest thinks that she's drunk. And she gets what she asks for. And when she finally goes back to the temple, uh, a long time later, after she's had Samuel, her son, after she's weaned him, she comes back to the temple and she prays this to the Lord. This is 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah also prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord and my strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside thee. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit seats of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked ones shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail." The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. <coughs> Let's pray together. O Lord, open us to your word that you have prepared for us today, we humbly ask. We need it. Like someone thirsty in the middle of the desert, we need it. Amen. I wonder what it is that you're praying for right now. Not the standard things that you pray for almost every day, the list that you have of requests that you pray for, but the people, the illness, the situation, the worry that's keeping you up at night or getting you up early in the morning so that you can hit your knees and pray because you don't know what else to do. The first thing that would leave your lips out loud or silently if you were to come down to the communion rail today 
and offer yourself to the Lord. The thing that you've been praying for for so long, for some of you, that you wonder if maybe God has forgotten you, deserted you, neglected you, abandoned you altogether. Now, I also wonder if for some of you, you've been feeling forgotten for so long that you've stopped praying, that you wouldn't even know where to start. After how long it's been, it just seemed like the prayer would never be answered. So maybe you've given up. It's just not God's will for you, you think, so why bother asking? And for some of you out there, I know what those prayers are. And for others, I don't have a clue. And for some of you, I might think I know and still not have a clue. Which means that it's not possible for me to know exactly how you hear Hannah's story today. Hannah, the one who gets what she asked for. And Hannah, the one who for years upon years upon years did not get what she asked for. Hannah, who's got the love of a husband who adores her so much that the other wife despises her because she gets all the attention. Half of her friends and her husband himself can't understand why she's dissatisfied with her life as it is. And the other half of her friends, and like I said, the other wife, look at her with pity and worse, disdain. And they tag her with the title, barren, deserted, a wasteland. And I might wonder about your prayer life, but today I want you to wonder something. I want you to wonder if it's possible that in the act of granting your request, your deepest longing in the world, that God might even teach a religious leader about what faith looks like and change the course of human history and the future of the people of God. I want you to wonder, is it possible that God could take the thing that I want most in the world and shape it and use it for his glory and his purposes and his mission far beyond what I could hope for. Because that's what happens with Hannah. She's not just the lady who gets what she wants. The details of the transformation of Hannah's life take her emptiness and they take her longing and they get mixed up with the goodness and the power of God so that her desire can turn into a spark that reforms the nation of Israel, that reshapes its political future, and sets them on a trajectory to wait for a Messiah who we know his name is Jesus. And it doesn't start with this prayer in the temple. It starts with prayers that Hannah has been praying beyond days that we could number. Hannah, in her faithfulness to God, becomes an essential part of God's work to reclaim the people that he has set apart and chosen and given a law and given a land and made all kinds of promises to that through them the whole world will be blessed. And he's brought them into the land that he promised out of the land of Egypt and he's given them the law and they have consistently persistently without stopping turned to idols and all manner of unholiness 
They've proven themselves to be unfaithful over and over and over again, no matter God's faithfulness. The country has received the law of the Lord, but they pay no mind to it. In fact, the the book right before Samuel ends with saying, there was no king in Israel, and every person did what was right in their own eyes. That's the state of Israel when Hannah goes to Shiloh. And God takes Hannah's desire for a child, and he turns it into his mission to save the world. Hannah's faithfulness helps restore the faithfulness of the priest and helps restore the faithfulness of the whole nation. And her story starts and ends with prayer. There's her first prayer, the one that's so intense, so deeply felt that she does something that's not common in her time and she mouths the words, but she doesn't say them. No one else can hear the depth of her heart, but God can. And she offers her deepest desires to the Lord. And she prays in such a way, this man who should be a man of prayer, who should recognize faithful prayer when he sees it, thinks, oh, there's a drunkard who's come into my temple. I better make sure I maintain the sanctity of the place. He can't recognize her prayer for what it is. He just thinks she's drunk and embarrassing herself. And in this, she teaches Eli something about prayer. So much so that you could almost hear the guilt in his voice as he offers her a blessing as she leaves. I, I, I hope God gives you whatever you're looking for. And she says, I hope I found favor in your sight. And she goes home. She goes home no longer sad after she has poured her heart out to God. She's gotten some assurance from this priest, but not anything I would trust. And she goes home to dinner, and she's no longer sad. God has given her peace. Though he has not guaranteed he's going to grant her wish, already she finds peace before she gets what she's wanted for so long. Hannah's first prayer is a sign of deep lasting faithfulness to the Lord. Anguished relationship with the Lord, but relationship all the same. Something that it seems the rest of Israel has forgotten. This is the kind of prayer that develops over time, maybe in ways that the person praying it doesn't even realize. But can you imagine how her prayer started the first time she realized that she wasn't pregnant and she wanted to be? Lord, I'd really like a baby, right? And then after watching her rival have child after child after child, her prayer begins to sharpen to the point that now it's not just I'd like to have a child, but it almost sounds like bargaining with God. If you give me a child, I don't even have to keep him. Just just let me keep him long enough to wean him and I'll give him back to you and he can serve you with all of his life the prayer gets tightened up, right? Scripture doesn't tell us this is what happens, but I've prayed enough, and I bet you've prayed enough that you know that over time, when you long for something, this is how it develops. And so when she lays her, her soul before the Lord, her, her desires have been shaped 
to know exactly what it is that she is longing for. And it is not a son that she can fawn over and dote over and spoil for all of his lifetime. It's not an heir that can take care of her in her old age. She wants a son so that she and Peninnah and everybody else who looks at her with pity will know that she has not been forgotten by God. That's what Hannah wants. To know the blessing of the Lord beyond a shadow of a doubt. She's learned through the course of her faithfulness that it was never really about a child. It was always about the blessing of the Lord that could take the form of a child. And so she wants to receive this gift so that she can turn around and give it right back to God. I'll give him back, I promise. Just don't let me be barren. This is her first prayer. Her prayer that is answered in dramatic fashion. She gets this son and she names him, I asked for you. I prayed for you. I pled for you to the Lord. And he has answered my prayer. And then after that, when she has finally weaned him and she takes him back to the temple, she offers a second prayer. We get more of the content of this prayer. As we head into the Christmas season, I hope that you'll read this prayer and go and read Mary's prayer, the Magnificat, and put them together because they are very similar. And this is not just a prayer anymore. It's a prophecy. She is speaking a blessing, a promise over Israel as she says it. She talks about the Lord's horn, the Lord's strength, I know a lot of you are starting to get buck fever. You want big antlers, right? I know some of you do. You're already checking your, you might be checking your game cameras right now. I don't know. But the horns of a deer or any other animal are a sign of beauty, glory. They're also a sign of strength, the way that they fight and assert their dominance. She talks about the horn of the Lord the Lord's glory and strength. She talks about the Lord as a rock, the foundation, the stability of all of our existence. She talks about the Lord's knowledge, his judgment over all of the actions of all of humanity. She talks about military might being nothing in the face of the Lord. She talks about food, sustenance. She talks about money. These are the things that nations care for protection and stability and economic systems and national defense and food supplies. These are the things that we can make idols out of, spend our lifetimes pursuing, trying to secure for ourselves. But Hannah says it's not about our efforts. It's not about what we can do. It's not about how much she wanted a child. The Lord will give his strength. Not by our might does a man prevail, but by the Lord. She goes further and she says he'll give his strength to his king, to the one that he's anointed. And if you're paying attention, Israel doesn't have a king right now. Hannah is prophesying what the Lord is going to do. And in her faithfulness in prayer, in her faithfulness in prophecy, Hannah has learned something about God's faithfulness. This woman whose name means God's grace 
realizes that you can't judge much by any person's temporary station, where they stand right now. They might be rich. They might be poor. They might be beautiful. They might not be. They might have full bellies. They might be starving. They might have the best weapons or no weapons at all. They might have no kids. They might have 12 kids. But they don't get credit for any of that. The Lord kills and brings to life, she says. The Lord is a God of resurrection, of bringing people up from the grave. The Lord raises the poor from the dust. He takes the needy from the ash heap and he sits them at the table with princes and he makes them the ones that inherit the seat of honor. The Lord sets up pillars and sets the world on top of it. And the Lord will judge the wicked. Might doesn't make right, she says. Kids don't make a woman blessed, she says. Money won't buy you happiness, not in the Lord's world. You can't make it on your own. But God, God will do these things. God will give strength to his king. God will exalt the power of his anointed. Anointed is the word for that in Hebrew is Messiah. The Lord will lift up the Messiah. And Samuel, her son, she gives him back to the priest Eli. We learn pretty quickly that the word of the Lord is foreign to the ears of Israel. They haven't heard it very much. Samuel can hear it, but the priest can't. And this sets Samuel on a life of reform and development as the last judge of Israel. He reforms the temple. When the people demand a king, the king that Hannah has prophesied, he gives them Saul that the Lord shows him. Pretty quickly, Saul goes astray, and Samuel is the one who anoints David as king. Samuel reshapes Israel's history as a leader of Israel, as one who leads them back to faithfulness, as one who teaches them again what it looks like to hear the voice of God. And that doesn't start with some powerful, rich man. It starts with a poor, barren woman who feels like she's been forgotten by God. So I don't know what it is that you're praying for late at night or early in the morning. I don't know what it is that you've stopped praying for because it's been so long. But I wonder how over time God has been shaping your desire your deepest longing so that he can take it and he can use it for his mission and for his purposes so that even you or even me might be a part of this story where God does the work, where he raises up the poor, where he raises up the dead, where he sets everything right, where he judges the wicked, where God does his work. I wonder if until our prayers are answered, we can be content, find ourselves not saddened because God grants us peace, the peace that passes understanding that he's promised to us. And I wonder if as he shapes our desire, we too could be included in this story where our simple desires could become a part of God's work to save the world. God can do it. Not by your might, not by your power, but by the power of God, it is possible.
to believe this is to have faith in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. God, you know our deepest longings, and we know that we don't always get what we ask for. Otherwise, you'd just be a really big vending machine, not the Lord of the universe. But we pray that you would take our desires, that you would take our hopes and our dreams, and that you would sanctify them before yourself so that we could want what you want. We pray, O oh Lord, that the things that we want could become a blessing to you and to your people. We want our lives, even our desires, to drive us into mission so that people might know your goodness and your grace, your provision, your strength, your beauty, your glory, your protection, your stability, all of the things that you and only you can bring. Let us find those things in you, even by persistent prayer. Amen. As we